So we've already started thinking about uh, some impossible tasks this morning. And I think as we uh, look at what the passage has to say, there's something else in here that may just be an impossible task. But before I uh, bring you my thoughts on that, shall we pray? Lord Jesus, thank you that you're here with us now. Thank you for your word and for all we can learn about as we read it. I pray that you'd give me the right words to say and that your message would get through to people this morning. Amen. So, I wonder, what did you want to be when you grew up? I wanted to run a sweet shop. Not just an ordinary sweet shop, though. My sisters reminded me of this recently. My sweet shop was going to be a little different because I was going to write educational computer programs to sell on the side. They thought this was particularly funny because I now work for a company which makes educational engineering software. So maybe I'm doing what I always wanted to do. But it's always fun to ask children, isn't it? What do you want to do? Now, I asked Rachel quite a while ago now what she wanted to do when she grew up. So Rachel, in all the endearing language of a three-year-old, said, Mummy, I want to be a cooker when I grow up. She wanted to work in a kitchen. Now, though, now she's very grown up. Now, Rachel is now four, and it's all changed. Rachel says, I want to be a princess. Now, if I'm writing educational software or working for a company that does it, why can't she be a, be a princess? This may yet happen. But to be honest, I don't really mind what she does when she grows up. My prayer is this, that God will be there throughout her life, guiding her and shaping her and helping her to become the person that she is designed to be. And I think this morning's reading has quite a lot to say about being the person that God wants you, that God wants you to be. Not the person that, that everyone else says you should be or the person that you think maybe you ought to be, but living your life as the person God made you to be. And most importantly, in our reading this morning, we heard that this is only possible if we do that through the power of the Holy Spirit. You see, at the start of the story of the ascension, of Jesus' return to heaven, there is a seemingly impossible task. Look at your Bibles. Jesus says to the disciples, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now just think, who's he talking to? He's talking to 11 ordinary men, not politicians or community leaders, ordinary men, and men who've already let him down, men who've doubted him. I mean, Peter had denied even knowing him just a few weeks before. On the face of it, this task is as unlikely to succeed as those feeble attempts of opening a tin, op a tin without a tin opener. It just doesn't seem possible. But look around us. Think about the people that we are meant to be. And think about all the people through the ages who have been the people God wanted them to be through the power of the Spirit. And it means we're here today. We are representatives of the worldwide church. We're representatives of the historical church. Somehow, this impossible task was made possible. So, 
Let's look at the passage to see just what happened. This is the story of the ascension, and I think there are three things that we can do to this passage to find out more. We can ask what happened. We can ask where did Jesus go and why he did it. But before we start, there's one more thing we need to know, and that's who's writing this. Can we trust it? So fortunately, we do know a bit about the writer of Acts. You see, scholars think that he was a Gentile doctor, Luke, and that he was a travelling companion of Paul. We can see from the way he writes that he's got this wonderful attention to detail and meaning. And he says at the beginning of his gospel, that former letter we heard reference to, this is what he says. He says, Since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you will know the certainty of the things you have been taught. So I think it's useful to ask what, where and why in this orderly account of Luke. And then, of course, we'll ask, what does it mean for us today? Right, what happened? Well, you've got your Bibles in front of you. It's fairly clear. He was taken up before their eyes and a cloud hid him. When we read this today, then... It's quite easy to imagine Jesus on some sort of celestial escalator, just smoothly gliding up and up and up into the heavens until the swirling clouds come round and he's lost from sight. I'm not sure that's what, I'm not quite sure that gets all of it in there because if you think about what the Jews would have thought and think about how they viewed clouds or specifically a cloud, maybe it's got some deeper meaning. Remember your illustrated children's Bibles. Do you remember times when God is pictured as a cloud? There's the story of when God led the Israelites across the desert as a pillar of cloud. So to the Jews, I think a cloud captures this sense of the glory of God and the presence of God. And I think that the passage today tells us this. Jesus was taken up and surrounded by God's glory. Maybe he didn't go far, far away after all. But where did he go? Is he somewhere up in the sky, perhaps, dodging satellites and hiding from the Hubble telescope? Well, Luke gives us the answer to this one too. Verse 11, the angels spell it out to the disciples loud and clear. Jesus, who has been taken up into heaven. Mystery solved. Great, we'll move on, shall we? Maybe not. I'm not sure that heaven is ever a simple answer. What's heaven like? Where is heaven? Well, one thing the Bible makes clear is heaven is not some euphemism for death. The angels continue, he will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. So we have a bodily ascension to a real place from which Christ will one day return. And I don't think it's all about fluffy clouds and angels playing harps either. You see, I think heaven is as real as anything that we can see around us today. It's just outside of the normal physical time and space which our our human minds can understand. 
it doesn't mean that it's far, far away. It's quite the opposite. Heaven is so much closer than we think. It's just the other side of the curtain. It's just a breath away. It's interwoven with our world. Think again of all those times in the Old Testament where heaven spilled over into the physical world, where God's glory came and changed people's lives. This really matters. When Jesus was taken up into heaven, he did not abandon us. If anything, heaven brings him closer. He still cares about our world. Now that should be enough to make us fight for social justice, to feed the poor, to pray for the sick, and to comfort the brokenhearted. But why did Jesus have to leave at all? I mean, he'd died, save us from our sins, he'd risen again, he'd defeated death. Why didn't he just establish his kingdom there on earth, there and then? It's what the disciples were expecting. I mean, look at verse 6, it's what they say. But I think the disciples had, had forgotten something that Jesus had said to them not that long before he died. In John 16:10, he said, I tell you the truth. It is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go, the counsellor will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And in this morning's passage, he spoke more about this counsellor, this Holy Spirit, and, and what would happen. You see, just before sending the disciples out with this impossible task of being witnesses to the ends of the earth, he said... You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. Suddenly, there is a way for this impossible task to be achieved. Suddenly, these 11 frightened men are the perfect choices as Christ's witnesses to take his his message to the ends of the earth. Because the Holy Spirit will come. And this is the heart of the story of the Ascension. This is why it's held up as a festival across all the historic churches. Without the Ascension, there would be no coming of the Holy Spirit, no Pentecost, and no worldwide church. So, what are we going to do about it? What does this matter to us, 21st century Camborne? How is this going to help us be the people that God wants us to be? and fulfill this seemingly impossible task. Well, it all comes down to the fact that Jesus was not just talking to those disciples. When he said, you will be my witnesses, he meant us too. How else could it have happened? Especially back in those days when there was no telephone and no no email. If If everyone who hears the message and is touched by the Spirit becomes part of the mission, then the message will get passed on. There's no other way. And so I really think that this is our commission too. But also, it is not an optional extra. Jesus didn't say, you might be able to squeeze in a bit of witnessing after you've put the children to bed. Or, you will be my witnesses to all the world when you get in from the office. No, everywhere we go, we are called to be carriers of hope and light not to talk about Jesus, although that has its part, but to be his witnesses. 
in everything that we do. Now, I, I agree, this could quickly get very scary. You see, if we try to do this in our own strength, it's just not going to work. Think about it. If I wanted to go out and tell the whole of Camborne about Jesus, what could I do? Well, I could write an article in the crier. I could put up a notice outside Morrison's. I could go to the top of Crow Hill with a megaphone and shout it out, Jesus is Lord! I don't think that would really change many people's lives, though. What makes the difference is when we live as people of God and when other people see God working through our lives. It's not about trying to do something. It is about being the person God designed us to be, being in relationship with him and being filled with his spirit. Most people who become Christians, well, it's through the witness of a consistent friend who's living the Christian life. It's the way we live our lives that makes the first impression. And then, and only then, will our friends, our family, and our colleagues start to ask us questions. And then we can tell them about Jesus. And it probably isn't going to happen overnight. I heard the latest statistics say that uh, it apparently takes an average of seven years from the first point which someone hears about Jesus to when they would call themselves a Christian. So we mustn't lose hope. We must keep praying and keep living as Christians, empowered by the Spirit. This is something that I know so well from my own experiences. I've got many prayerful friends who have been a huge influence on my own spiritual life. And it's a call I feel on my life too, to try and live out consistently what I read in the Bible and what I am learning from God as I pray to him. God is going to use me as Beth, as a wife, mother, friend, colleague, scientist, technical writer, member of Camborne Church, as me. God is going to use me as the woman he made me to be. I don't have to pretend to be something I'm not. None of us do. God made us and designed us to work with his spirit in us as his witnesses. But the thing I do know is that he is calling me and all of us to take risks for his name. Risks empowered by the spirit, but risks all the same. And it might be something quite small, like, just being honest about your faith in the office. Now, I, I work for an engineering software company. I'm surrounded by scientists, engineers, programmers, and some of them, they, they think that Christianity lacks the intellectual rigor for someone of their educational background. They just don't quite see how you can be a scientist and a Christian. Now, I've got a PhD in mineral physics, and I am a Christian. I see no incompatibility whatsoever between my science and my faith. I noticed something interesting the other day. We were in the kitchen at work, and someone said something similar. They said, oh, science and faith, they, they just don't mix. And my friend said, actually, there's no problem. There's no incompatibility. And you know what? She's not a Christian but she knows that I am, and we've talked about it quite a lot. I think that the Holy Spirit is giving me and some of the other Christians at work the power to be witnesses 
in our office. The other place that I really believe the Holy Spirit is using me and so many others here is right here in Camborne. I care deeply about the people in Camborne. And I really care about the people here who have never even heard about the love of God. When I drive through Camborne or when I walk the dog, particularly past all the new housing that's going up in Upper Camborne, and you just see all these houses and these people who we have no contact with officially as a church, and maybe we have contact as individuals. And what an opportunity we have there. But the thing I find myself doing as I walk past the, these houses and these people is crying out to God and praying for them. And the more I pray, the more convinced I become that God is at work here in Camborne. The more convinced I become that the Holy Spirit is moving in power and that he could well be using us as his witnesses in Camborne and maybe across Cambridge and to the ends of the world. So let's get really practical then. Let's start praying. Now, I really do believe that prayer is a practical solution. We don't need to be specially trained just to be ourselves, to offer ourselves up to God and to rely on the promise of power of the Holy Spirit that we heard about this morning. And you know, today is a good day to start such an adventure because today we're celebrating Ascension. Traditionally, Anglicans would go and beat the bounds of their parishes today. Now, it's an archaic tradition. I don't really understand all of what it's about. But why don't we try it today in Camborne and beat the bounds of Camborne in prayer? As you go from here, just pray. As you walk past someone, pray for them. As you walk past the houses and the shops and the businesses, pray and just see what happens. And as we do this, we need to hold on to the truths that we've been hearing this morning from Scripture, the what, the where, and the why, because this is what happened. Jesus Christ died to save us. He rose again and he ascended into heaven. And that's where he is. He is sitting at the right hand of the Father. And he will come again. He's not left us alone. He's closer than you think. And heaven can break through at any moment. And the why? Well, he went so that he could send the Holy Spirit, our counsellor, to give us the power to be his witnesses and to give us the power to live as the people God wanted us to be. As we pray, God will change us. As we pray, God will inspire us to do the work that he wants us to do. And as we pray, we'll see where we fit into his plans. He's giving us the power for this not-so-impossible task. Just look around. We've already got representatives from different cultures and different countries. But just think, if each of us is living as a witness to the people in Camborne that we know and praying for the people in Camborne that we don't know yet, just think what the power of the Holy Spirit could do. Jesus said to them, and he says to us, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses to the end of the earth.